0: As a vibrant part of campus life, our chapel gathering at Trinity Western creates opportunities for us to hear and be changed by God's story in Jesus through music, teaching, prayer, scripture reading, and storytelling. We're glad you're listening in today. We hope that you encounter God's heart for you and the world. it's great to be with you again Trinity Western Uh, thank you for letting me be part of your chapel experience I wish we could be doing this together in the same room singing together praying together Uh, but anytime we open up God's word together even virtually something really sacred can happen and in the mystery of how God works we're we're kind of grafted together as this one body one church one family so I'm grateful for that and, and let's just jump into the scripture this fall, you've been looking at the book of Job. Um, your beloved chaplain picked a really upbeat, easy-to-teach part of the Old Testament. Thank you for that, James. Uh, actually, I think it's a great thing to, to be walking through a text like Job as a community. And it's really the right time to be wrestling with Scripture like this. In light of all that's going on in our world and, and I'm sure in your lives, uh, last week we talked about how the Bible is full of these winter books. They speak to wintry spirituality And and it's been helpful um, to me in in these days. No no question, this has been the hardest six months I've ever been through as a pastor. And I'm sure there are parts of your life that don't look anything like what you had hoped. And and that's what we're gonna talk about today. So Job chapter five, starting with verse one. Uh, To recap, there's a guy named Eliphaz and he's responding to Job's questions. Job's doubting in the goodness of God in the midst of his suffering. And here's what Eliphaz says. Call, if you will... But who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Resentment kills a fool and envy slays the simple. I myself have seen a fool taking root, but suddenly his house was cursed. His children are far from safety, crushed in court without a defender. Verse 5. The hungry consume his harvest, taking it even from among thorns, and the thirsty pant after his wealth. For the hardship hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Okay, that's not exactly a Sunday school kind of prayer, is it? Verse 8. But if I were you, okay, anytime someone starts a sentence with, but if I were you, that means they're going into advice mode. Uh, I've learned after being married for a few years, I got to be real careful not to start too many sentences with, but if I were you. Eliphaz says, if I were you, Job, I would appeal to God. I would lay my cause before him. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that that cannot be counted. Verse 10, he provides rain for the earth. He sends water on the countryside. The lowly he sets on high, those who mourn are lifted to safety. He thwarts the plans of the crafty so that their hands achieve no success. Verse 13, he catches the wise in their, their craftiness, and the schemes of the wily are swept away. Darkness comes upon them in the daytime, at noon they grope as in the night. And then these words, he saves the needy from the sword in their mouth, he saves them from the clutches of the powerful, so the poor have hope, and injustice, injustice closes its mouth. So just to recap, we said last week that the book of Job, it starts in the land of us. And in the beginning, everything is the way that we think it should be. Job is a righteous, upstanding, good guy, and he's living the good life. And we said the amount of blessing that he experiences, it's directly proportional to the amount of obedience he offers. A perfect, direct relationship between blessing and obedience. That was the prevailing worldview in that day. You obey, you get blessed. You screw up and you get cursed. That's the wisdom of Proverbs. I have a three year old daughter, and um, we're trying to teach her this basic worldview that when you obey, when you do what mommy and daddy say, you get blessed. And when you disobey, when you act up, there will be consequences, right? Kids, we have to teach our kids that. But our daughter, Collier Jane, she has this stubborn streak. Uh, she wants things her own way. I don't know where she got that from, but. Uh, But just the other day, we saw this in pure form. She was trying to ride the robot vacuum cleaner. Anybody seen one of these little robot vacuum cleaner? Well, I had to keep saying, call your Jane. CJ, get off the Roomba. Please get off the Roomba. And she would just look at me and stare back at me in defiance. and, And she proudly kept riding that robot vacuum cleaner around our house. So I had to put her in timeout. And she does not like timeout. She would prefer to be riding the Roomba. Say, call your Jane, you obey, you get blessed. You disobey, you get time out. Apparently she doesn't appreciate the wisdom of Eliphaz just yet. Right? That's the worldview of, Job and his friend, of Job's friends. And as Eliphaz goes into advice mode, he says, God catches the schemer, he saves the needy. If you're good, you'll be blessed. Job, if you disobey, you're gonna be in trouble. And that wisdom, that worldview, we said it works wonderfully until it doesn't. Until a righteous, faithful, obedient man like Job loses everything. So Job cries out, God, why aren't you listening? Where are you? Do you not hear? Do you not even care? A while back, I was leading this small group of college students, and on our first night together, we started out with each of us just writing on a little card, like the single greatest doubt or question that gets in the way of faith in God. There were about 12 of us together in this study, and Almost every response, including my own, had in one way or another something to do with the question that Job asks with such unfiltered honesty. How could a good and just God allow all this suffering? Where is God when a child is born with some untreatable disease? Where is God in the midst of these fires that have just destroyed millions of acres, hundreds of homes, taken countless lives? God, how can you allow all this hate and venom and violence and racism in our world today? Why does God seem to watch and do nothing? Now, there's no shortage of people who've tried to answer this question, and unfortunately, some of the worst answers have come from us preachers. Like in trying to provide a quick and easy answer, we preachers have said some of the dumbest, most hurtful things about the nature of evil and suffering and judgment, especially in the wake of tragedy. One of my favorite writers, Frederick Buechner, once wrote There is perhaps no better proof for the existence of God than how year after year he survives the way his professional friends promote him. So where is God in the midst of all this? If Eliphaz is right, then then why has Job been stripped of everything good? I think about a friend who lost his dad at a young age. Uh, Then he married his high school sweetheart and he watched as his young wife, the, the love of his life, slowly lost this battle with breast cancer and after her painful death he waved goodbye to god said don't call me i'll call you is more than he could bear he blamed god and he walked away from faith i do not believe there's an easy answer to make sense of what he's gone through or what job is going through or maybe what you've gone through and yet the very fact that when we see suffering or the grieving faces of those who've lost loved ones to sickness or disaster The very fact that we see that as something that's not right, it's unjust, is itself an argument that there's a God who created us for more. After all, where did we get this idea of just and unjust? If this world is just a random collection of colliding particles, on what basis do we believe suffering to be an unjust thing? The very notion that we look at those who suffer without reason and we know inside ourselves that something is deeply wrong, that sense of injustice stirring within is an argument for the existence of a God who made us for more. So Eliphaz, he feels like he has to respond to Job's unfiltered anger. Uh, Some commentators think it's finally when Job laments his own birth. That's the moment when it's like he crosses a line and his friends finally think they have to speak up. But notice, by the way, that Job does not walk away from God. Don't call me, I'll call you. No, He's angry, he's disillusioned at at all this suffering, but he doesn't walk away from faith. Instead, he comes with honesty before God. In fact, there's this boldness to the back and forth as you journey through the rest of the book of Job and Job's willingness to go before God in brutal candor. There's wrestling, there's doubt, but there's no walking away, no abandoning God. He doesn't stop praying or following or even obeying, even though he questions. He's angry, he's disillusioned, at at times sarcastic, but he never walks away from God. It's here that Tim Keller asks a great question. How do most people deal with this gap, this distance between God's goodness and a suffering world? Well, on the one hand, you have people like Eliphaz who... Maybe grew up in church who say, you can't approach God in this way. You can't say the kind of stuff that Job says to God. You can't doubt or question. You just have to accept and believe. Then on the other hand, you have skeptics who've so bought into the enlightenment to reasoning our way out of any problem. And so the skeptic says, I can't understand how how a good God could possibly allow this kind of suffering. Therefore, I'm not going to believe in him or her or it. I'm done with God. Don't call me. I'll call you. And see, Job doesn't take either of these paths. In one sense, he's far more honest than traditional religiosity. He brings his intellect, his emotion, brings all of it to God. He has the courage to confront the God of the universe. And just because he can't see the full picture, because he doesn't fully understand why, it doesn't mean that he can just walk away from faith. In fact, he leans in all the more, as we're gonna see as we make our way through this book. His questions about the gap they end up shrinking the gap between Job and God. His honest questions about this gap end up shrinking the relational gap between Job and God. And then I start to think about my own life, how my response, how I would respond, how would you respond to that kind of pain and suffering and injustice that you cannot outrun? And I realized just thinking about this over the last week that my own trust in God is so painfully dependent on circumstance. And so often I have built my faith and my identity on the scaffolding of achievements and possessions and comforts and it's all temporary and one day it'll all be gone. But see, once again, what we know and what Job couldn't yet see and what Eliphaz the Temanite couldn't yet see, we know that what Eliphaz said, it was actually true, but true in a deeper and more profound way than he could have ever imagined. That one day, one day the poor would have hope and the injustice would Injustice would shut its mouth, and the needy would be saved, and those who are low would be lifted high, and those who mourn would have safety. Because one day, hundreds of years later, there would be another man like Job, one who cried out to God, who cried out from his suffering, even on the cross, why, God, why have you abandoned me? On the cross, Jesus was abandoned. He got the abandonment we deserve so that we would never be abandoned, so that now, Even when we feel swallowed up by suffering or evil or injustice, even when we feel abandoned, we are not. That's the promise of the cross, the hope of the resurrection, that Jesus took on our abandonment so that we would never be abandoned by God. And one day, one day God will come again and he will put this broken world to rights. He will restore all things and then we will know. Then we will know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, how we find strength, even in this conversation between two men making sense of suffering. So we pray for all those who are are, are wrestling with this gap between your goodness and our suffering. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us through that and strengthen us. God, we pray that even just using those words that Jesus taught us, that you would deliver us from evil and that your kingdom of hope and Restoration and justice would come more and more into our lives and into this world. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to worship with you at our next broadcast online at livechapel.twu.ca. You can also stay connected with Chapel and Student Ministries by following us on Instagram at TWUChapel and at TWUStudentMin. Much love.